Welcome in. It's the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. And Dave, it's time to play for a championship. That's right. The Cincinnati Bearcats are 9-1 and one this season. The Temple Owls come to town on Saturday night. The nip at night. The Bearcats black on black on black. Great ticket deals. Get your ticket. Go to GoBearcats.com. Scoop up a couple seats at the game. You aren't going to want to miss this one. We have a lot to get to today. We will talk about the exciting, I guess is what you would call it, uh, victory at South Florida. We will cover the upcoming game against the Temple Owls. We will uh, take a look a little bit. I, I haven't dug too deep into it yet, so I don't know how how in-depth we'll get, but we'll take a little uh, a look at the Bearcats basketball team trip to the Virgin Islands. They are in the air tomorrow, which creates an opportunity for me as well, Dave. Mo Egger, because of uh, Dan Horde's Bearcats football and Bengals responsibilities. Mo Egger will be in the Virgin Islands broadcasting on 700 WLW, which means someone has to fill in tomorrow for his show. So I will be hosting the Mo Egger show Wednesday from 3 to 5.30. I said 3 to 6, 3 to 5.30. An abbreviated show because uh, I guess Louisville basketball plays tomorrow. So 3 to 5.30, I, I, I talked to Coach Fick today. And I will have that conversation to play for you tomorrow. And uh, I think we're going to talk to Mike DeCourcy, talk some college basketball, talk to Richard Skinner, talk to Rick Broering. We'll hear from Zach Taylor. Uh, a busy show tomorrow on ESPN 1530. So catch me there, 3 to 530. But you can catch me here now because we got a lot to talk, talk about. You can talk to me. Tomorrow? Sure. I don't. I don't think the people are ready for that. I'm available from five to six. Well, the the show only goes till five thirty. Oh well, maybe next time. Yeah, maybe next time. I just don't know. <laughs> it's it's like it's like when um, Andre three thousand wrote "Hey Ya," and the record label told him that, that they couldn't release it yet because the people weren't ready. That's kind of like Dave on the radio, like good in a podcast setting. But I don't I don't know if I don't know if terrestrial radio. Uh, I've, is I've ready for you. Some radio hits before. I'm a seasoned veteran. <laughs> oh, uh, in, in case, uh, just a, a heads up for the future of this podcast. Uh, Dave and I have been encouraged to use more foul language. Um, Never a bad thing. No. So last week, if you're a, if you're a loyal listener, you know, after the UCLA game uh, at the Rose Bowl, Dave and I did a late-night emergency podcast, and both of us had um, been enjoying the night, and Dave dropped a uh, bad word, the bad word, and uh, a couple days later, the voice of the Bearcats, Dan Horde, was driving in his car with his, uh, at the time, I think he was 11 or 12 years old, with his son Sam, and uh, Dave dropped an F-bomb on the podcast, and Sam is in the backseat grinning from ear to ear because he heard something he wasn't supposed to hear. And Dan kind of gave me a, a, a hard time about that the next time I saw him. So then last week, I, I accidentally said a bad word. It wasn't the bad word. It was just a bad word. 
and I said, sorry, Dan. And while Dan was on a run in Tampa, he got a huge kick out of that. Uh, so he wants to make sorry Dan a thing. So in order to make sorry Dan a thing, we have to cuss more on the podcast. And then every time we say a bad word, we're going to say sorry Dan. So that's how we're going to make it a thing. Uh, we're going to try to stay away from the bad, the, the, the bad word. No promises. We're going to try to stay away from that one because this is a relatively rated PG podcast. But, you know, <laughs> we're going to see what we can do to accommodate friend of the program, Dan Horde. Uh, and to make sorry Dan a thing, um, I would encourage like if you if you say a cuss word on Twitter, um, hashtag sorry Dan, maybe at Dan Horde to let him know. Um, but let's let's make this a a thing. Well, I, I can only speak for the Bearcat Journal Twitter account. That it is one of the most professional and upstanding accounts out there. So there will probably not be any. Well, foul no, language. there's no foul language on the official Bearcat Journal Twitter account. <laughs> that is frowned upon by management at Bearcat Journal. <laughs> but on this podcast, a little bit different story. A little bit different story. I uh, would also like to thank everybody that came out and joined us at Task Bruporium. Another awesome watch party for the Bearcats uh, as, they as they took down USF. One more left in the regular season, uh, and that will be Black Friday against Memphis. I contemplated making the trip down to Memphis, but I don't think it's going to happen. So I should be at the watch party. Logistics just aren't going to work out with uh, with Thanksgiving. And then the UNLV basketball game on the Saturday after. And then figuring out, uh, after all that, what the situation is going to be if UC gets into the conference title game. Uh, so at this point, I had to put the trip to Memphis on hold. But the good news is I will be at Taft's. And uh, so we're sitting there this week at Taft's, Dave. And it's early fourth quarter and, you know, things are a little uncomfortable. The Bearcats aren't particularly playing well. And guess who walks in? Um, Mike Bone. Justin Berg. Oh, Justin Berg. Joined us for the end. Central or South Florida, excuse me, did not score from the time that Berg arrived at Taft's to the end of the game. So Justin did a great job playing defense. The Bearcats were able to rebound, and they picked up a victory. Um, it was a great time. My, my good old friend Todd Cunningham joined us, checked it out. We had a lot of Bearcat Journal members that were there. Another very successful watch party at Taft's. Let's make the last one of the regular season a big one. Next Friday, Black Friday, at 3.30, we will be back at Taft's Bruporium. The last chance for you to get $3 pints from the first Cincinnati touchdown to the end of the game. And uh, what, day after Thanksgiving, you go do some shopping, you, you, you get your Christmas stuff taken care of, and then you meet me at Taft's at 3.30. Hopefully the Bearcats score early. You get $3 pints the rest of the day. You're loaded by 7.30. You go home, you eat some leftover turkey, you crash, and you call it a day. That sounds like a hell of a day, Dave. It does, and everyone's tired of hanging out with their family by then anyway, so it's a great reason to get out. Hang out with your Bearcat Journal family. Yeah. We're a family here. All right, let's get to it. It wasn't pretty. The offense struggled, especially in the passing game, about as much as a team can possibly struggle. Uh, Des Ritter exited briefly uh, early in the first quarter on the first drive. Uh, 
took a shot to his right throwing shoulder. He returned. He did not pass well. Uh, I think he had 40 or so yards passing, 30 or so yards passing until the final drive when he completed a third down uh, toss to Malik, Malik Mudge, Moj, however the hell he says it, I don't know. Um, and then a 30-yard screen to Mike Warren. He ended up with under 80 yards, and, and that was 41 of his passing yards. But Des is a gamer. He made it. Uh, and made it happen, and the Bearcats got the win. Uh, it was it was ugly, Dave. There there wasn't a whole lot other than Mike Warren and uh, Jared Dokes had a, a solid game. Other than that, it was not a pretty uh, pretty Saturday evening. But somehow, some way, they managed to hang on and move to nine and one. And it was another road game where you score one more point, you get on the plane. You get the hell out of town, and that's what they did. Yeah, it's it's concerning in the sense of like it's. I think it's unfair to speculate degrees of of injury, but I mean, it's it seemed pretty clear that based on a number of things, it just he just wasn't right. That just wasn't right. Um, you know, he's out there, but he was holding the ball. And, you know, the kind of the same stuff we've talked about with pump faking and not letting it go. And then it was just it was just kind of obvious through the way the game progressed that they were, you know, calling plays to protect him. And, and they were able to escape. And I think that's the operative word because, you know, any of those missed field goals go in. I think we kind of got gifted in the first quarter on that offensive pass interference call that probably should have been a touchdown for them. I don't I don't really think that was much of a pick. Yeah, um, but they also got screwed on a phantom holding call on Josiah DeGuaro. When yeah, no, I agree, but I mean like Jared Dokes was at tackled that point, at the one. Early in the game though, that might have not even, you know, that might not even mattered. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's just concerning from the standpoint of and this is where I think the season I was thinking about this, I don't know if it was today or yesterday or when, but like you kind of, once they beat Central Florida, everything from that point on until UConn. These, these two weeks didn't really matter in the sense of just win. Right. Because once you got that game, you figured, okay, those were probably the two teams that were vying for the um, Eastern Division title. And so you had the game-and-a-half lead on them. And and so you're it's kind of turned that part of the season into the, okay, just survive. And that's what they did, but now they're going to have to be able to flip the switch and they've got to figure something out offensively, whether it's – I don't. I mean, we don't know what Dez's health situation is. Coach Hickle said he's good to go. Um, but that could be one tackle, you know, away from being right. in a situation that we were in last week. So I would imagine, you know, in against, preparation. Against a against really the, good defensive line. Right. 
and and UCF has a good defensive line, but they don't have anybody like Quincy Roche. And we'll get into that when we you know, preview Temple specifically. But I'd have to think on some level Ben Bryant will get additional reps just because you have to protect yourself and, and have him somewhat ready in case Des – heck, maybe Des wakes up Saturday morning and is like, whatever has been bothering him, say it's his shoulder. He's like, my shoulder is totally locked up. Like, I can't throw the ball. Well, you – need to prepare yourself in case that happens. And you probably um, also need to give Des a little bit of a rest in terms of heavy reps this week to let him heal. Oh, for, for sure. Like, you can't just think he's just going to recuperate an injury by taking the same number of throws in practice that he usually does. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that means you have a series set aside for Ben in the actual game if you just play it by ear if you um you know it's just it's kind of a mystery and it's not exactly what you want heading into these two games um obviously hindsight's 2020 but i'm sure in a perfect world they would have liked to have gotten ben some more reps somewhere but like the two games here down the stretch against ecu and usf you would have thought those might have been chances to do that but they didn't play well, so yeah, they, they were playing from behind. It's very difficult to get the backup in when you're trying to come back. Much easier yeah, when you're I, playing with a a lead, even if it's a ten point, fourteen point lead. You can maybe get the guy a series. You can't get them a series when you're scrambling from behind to make up ground. Like that's just it. it unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Well, I think people just flippantly are like, well, just put him in. Like when Dez is struggling against USF, just put him in. Like, well, he didn't probably take out of 10 reps in practice leading up to the game. He probably took two. So, like, what what does your your playbook look like in that situation? Um, Couldn't have looked any worse than what it looked like in the second half. On Saturday. No, but but you have to. <laughs> I know. You still have to play the person that gives you the best chance to win, and they felt that that was Des, and they ended up winning. But that's there, and now we're here, and you know, you can be like, and I I try to, I look at things with with them this season specifically, just in kind of like a very big picture sense of they're nine and one. We kind of thought that this is where they could be. They're clearly not playing to their capabilities. They're not playing the best that we've seen them play this year. But you can still look at it and enjoy the fact that of what's going on and at the same time have a critical eye of this needs to get better, that needs to get better. And it's not just offense. I mean, we can get into the defense as well. Um but I just I think, you know, we kind of sometimes get too micro and lose sight of like they're not playing for a playoff spot. So the whole eye test and and all of that and it doesn't really matter. Like just enjoy the heck out of what's going on and and look around the country. I just and I I saw this the other yesterday and I couldn't believe it. 
because you know the the common joke is every time Texas wins a somewhat big game, it's like is Texas back? Yes. Do you know the last time Texas lost fewer than four games in a season? Uh, Vince Young. No, a little bit later than that. Actually, 2009, when they played Alabama for the national championship. Okay. So the team with about every advantage over almost every other team in the country hasn't lost fewer than four games in 10 years. So just kind of like, I just kind of like, that just makes me kind of put things into perspective of. Winning is hard. Where, it's hard. Exactly. It's hard. On any level, it's hard. At the very top level, it's hard. In the middle, it's hard. At the bottom, it's hard. It's just hard. It's hard to consistently win. And they've won 21 out of their last 24 games. And yes, we would all like to blow out South Florida because we all think South Florida stinks or whatever, you know, or whatever it is. But sometimes. Was Temple South Florida team, was what, 17-7? Yeah, 17-7. And one of those touchdowns is defensive. Um, so it's, it's just kind of like, it's just kind of the way college football is. If you're not at the, if you're not the Ohio State LSU world, I mean, LSU just gave up more rushing yards to a freshman quarterback than anyone in the country since Vince Young. Right. Like, everybody has something going on. It seems like the Ohio State seems to be pretty awesome. So does Clemson, but you know, just we can look at it and and go, yeah, maybe some things need to change. There, you know, I think there's a whole confluence of issues offensively. It's not just the way Dez is playing. I mean, I think the offensive line, especially in pass protection, had a very good game. Um, it didn't seem like the you know South Florida has a pretty good pass defense didn't seem like the receivers were getting open. It wasn't like he was missing wide open guys. Like he was trying to fit balls in tight windows and just not making very good, good throws. Um, I I did talk to some people around the program today and there, there was a feeling there were some guys that were open that he'd like, that he just didn't pull the trigger on. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, there probably were a couple of those where you're like, what are you like? What you're staring at something, but you're not throwing the ball. So you know, just not not seeing, wasn't seeing the, the game, and and that can happen. I mean, especially if you're not a hundred percent. Like, you know, if you don't feel like you can make that throw, even though you maybe see someone open, you you hold on to the ball. You know, so defense, at least in the first half, didn't didn't play very well. I didn't think. I mean, I, I I'm not really a fan of the, the three-man front anymore. I think it allows it allows teams to kind of do what South Florida did, which was play three wide receivers and a tight end and just run the ball because you're you're outmanned in the run game. And if you make if you can get make one guy miss or get that one guy blocked, there was, we saw there was there was plenty of room for them to run the. They didn't tackle very well. You know, I think gave up four what we would call explosive plays, especially that third down play, third and ten from the two yard line, gave up a forty one yard yeah. play, you know, on a ten yard pass across the middle, and the guy just 
keeps running. But again, I didn't like the fact that third and 10 with a quarterback that's not typically accurate, who on the last two plays didn't come close to hitting his receiver, and we just rushed three guys. I'm, and I'm thinking, like, let's heat him up, make him make a quick decision, and either he throw, you know, probably throws it incomplete or throws it to someone quick because he's getting pressured, and he, they tackle him short of the first down. So, but... You know, you get the win, you move on, you try to fix what you fix. It's always easier to fix stuff after a win than after a loss. They're still in the position that we all hoped they would be in. Everything from a league standpoint, a bowl standpoint, is in front of them. They need no help from anybody else. It's all on them. Yeah, I mean, it's literally what you want is, is within your grasp, and you've got to go out and take it. So they're going to have to play better because if they play like they played against South Florida, the chances of them winning aren't very good. And Temple's, no, a, probably, Temple's a better team than South Florida. They now, are. I will. I will. There's one caveat with that. They seem to be a much different team on the road this year than at home. Yes. And Cincinnati seems to be a much different team at home than they are on the road. So we'll get into that shortly. The one other thing I wanted to touch on in the South Florida game. How about the job Brian Mason's done as a special teams coordinator? I I tweeted a couple of those things out yesterday. uh, For those that aren't of the Twitter age, I believe I had, let's see, Ryan, Ryan Montgomery, true, you know, freshman, 20th nationally punt return average. Trey Tucker, 37th nationally kickoff return average. True freshman. You know, they're in the top 30 in net punting. They only have one touchback. They're tied for the lead in the nation with four block kicks. Like, and that's. Their you know, there's so kickoff much coverage is excellent. Their punt coverage oh, yeah. is excellent. I mean, across the There's so the much board. hidden yardage with what Montgomery and Tucker have been able to do, comparatively speaking, to years past. Yeah. Like, people, like Montgomery's averaging nine and a half yards a punt return. And that doesn't seem like a lot. But in college... In college, there's almost never punt returns. Like, just look at UC punting. When was the last time someone even returned a punt against UC? It doesn't happen often. And for How him, about... which, the fact that he never fair catches, I just love. Like, <laughs> just absolutely love, love, love every every bit of it. Because I don't trust college players running down their full speed to be the first guy and make the tackle. So... I just love that he refuses to fair catch the ball and, you know, just gets that extra, you know, 10 yards pretty much every time now. That's a first down. It's totally changed, you know, opening drive field position in several instances. And if you don't do anything with it, it still helps flip the field for James Smith, who once again is one of the best punters in the country. Yeah. 
and and the the, the place kicking game is coming around. The yeah, they were, Sam they were eleven for fifteen combined, and I think either six or seven and makes in a row. The find of Sam Crosa, who was as quiet and unheralded a grad transfer as you'll ever hear, was a walk on. Just kind of showed up. I mean, obviously it was a lot more complicated than that, but there was no no fanfare, no you know this guy's being added, no you know I commit uh, tweet anything like that. Showed up, won the job, had a little bit of a rough patch at the beginning, but now in the last three weeks he's made two game winning kicks, and Sam Cross is going to be a guy. We'll talk about for a long time as you see fans now. And you have to give credit to Cole Smith for keeping his head in it. And when he's been called upon, he's been able to go in and make the longer kicks. That has become a strength. I mean, it's just, I don't remember ever looking at every phase. Punt return, kick return, punt coverage, kick coverage, the actual place kicker, the actual punter, all the returners, everybody on that special teams unit, everybody that's had their number called upon is doing a fantastic job. And to think, what, when the last staff left, they were like 120th in special teams? Yeah, it was not pretty. I mean, is there really any special teams in the country you would take over Cincinnati from top to bottom right now in every phase? I don't think so. I mean, S&P Plus is ranking special teams now, and I did not look at this week's. I know Memphis was number one. Um, they do have more splash returns. Right. They, I mean, they've got return touchdowns and things like that that obviously play into that. But um, UC was, I think, around 30, which is, I mean – which is still, you know, very, very good. I mean, it's top twenty. They're just steady. I think that's the 15, that's the main 20%. thing. In every phase, they're just consistent. They're steady. They they don't make the mistake that hurts. I mean, think about this too. You have all of the returns that we've talked about. How many flags have you seen on those? Not many. That's one of the biggest things in football these days is when you see a return, there's almost always a flag involved. Right. Well, look at just holding, blocking the back, whatever. Compare it to Saturday. USF, I think, has one of the worst special teams in the country. They're in like the 120s, S&P Plus. They missed four field goals. They had one kickoff. Tackled it like the twelve yard line. Yeah, they fair then, caught then, everyone after. Then that. the rest of them were fair caught. They gave up a fifty yard kickoff return. I mean, those plays right there are why you see win the game. Yeah. Like that was a, a it wasn't quite as uh, drastic as like Kevin Huber beating Rutgers by pinning them at the one a couple t- two times and inside the five another time. Like that was a what ten to seven game, something like that. Yeah. And and Kevin Huber, you walked away from that game thinking the punter won the damn game. Um, there wasn't any one specific. I mean, the, the place kicking obviously Crosa won the game at the end, but 
it was everything. It was just a culmination of all the extra yards that they were able to generate in every phase of the game that played a major factor, especially in the second half, of them being able to to, to take momentum and come back and win the game. And I just – I think Mason deserves a ton of credit for that. I mean, this is a guy that when he came here, he was Luke Fickle's graduate assistant at Ohio State at, at linebacker. When he got here, he spent a year running at the recruiting department as the recruiting coordinator. Last year was the, the his first year as the special teams coordinator. He's now special teams coordinator, also works with the uh, Jack – uh, defense or no, he works with the, the the sniper linebackers, and he's done a phenomenal job. And I, I, when that happens, this podcast is for for making note of it and uh, and saying good job. So good job, Coach Mason. Well, they do it with a lot of young guys too, and that's yeah. encouraging for the future and also for recruits. Like because more and more so, you see. Special teams has a lot of starters, and this is across the country. This isn't just like a UC thing. Um, I know Alabama plays a ton of starters on special teams, but that's encouraging for guys on the current roster and also for recruits. Like that's a way, you know, to show if you can get on special teams, that means they trust you enough that they'll probably start looking at you whether it's offense or defense. Kobe Bryant, Derek Forrest, Alec Pierce. I mean, it's Hicks. a pretty Hicks. It's a long list of guys that have come in that first year, made their impact on special teams, and and you're exactly right. The 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 only way you get onto the field any in in college sports at this level, at this high of a level is to earn the trust of the coaching staff. And in football, a great way to earn the trust of the coaching staff is to go out there, play on multiple special teams, make an impact on multiple special teams, and next thing you know, they trust you. And you're on the field making plays with regularity. So, yeah, I just, I just before we moved officially on to Temple, I wanted to uh, to credit Brian Mason and, and all of his special teams units. Um, all right, Dave, Temple. Open the – open the. Open the notebook and have at it. What are we looking at? First thing that sticks out is kind of what I mentioned earlier. There's splits between home and road. Um, road, they are two and two. But two of the two wins are ECU and USF. Buffalo. Yeah, they lost to Buffalo early. Then they got smoked by SMU. <clears throat> they averaged just under 22 points a game. On the road, and they averaged 30 points a game at home. There's a big 56 outlier in there against uh, Bucknell. But either way, it's a, an eight-point home road difference is pretty large. Um, but this is not to say that they're not still a quality team. I mean, they've came in here the last two times and beat us. You know, so... We're not saying that to disparage them or their chances. I'm just saying, like, this year specifically, it's That's been... no different than saying UC stinks on the road because exactly. they're not very good on the road. 
<laughs> exactly. So when you you know you get into the 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 meat of it, quarterback Anthony Russo, we've seen him. He's got 18 touchdowns this year, but seven of them were in the first two games. So kind of slowed down since then. He also has thrown 10 interceptions, so he's willing to put the ball, you know, up for grabs, so to speak. They throw it deep, especially Russo. One of the main things they do with him, and we saw it last year, and it, it hurt Cincinnati quite a bit. They will push the ball down the field. Yeah. They do bring in kind of a change of pace quarterback. It seems like about every, I shouldn't say every, about one, maybe two series a half, just depending on game flow, Todd Santeo. And he's not really like a running quarterback, so to speak. I mean, he does run, but he can pass. I mean, yes. In a much smaller sample size. They're not running wildcat when he comes in. No, in a much smaller sample size. His completion percentage is much higher than Russo's, and he got three touchdowns, no interceptions. Two solid running backs, uh, Raheem Davis, a true freshman from from California, I think, which is an interesting one. Um, started out the year really, really well, like leading leading freshman rusher in the country. Has slowed down quite a bit the last few weeks and he might have been dealing with some some injuries as well he hasn't gone over 72 yards in any of their last four games only has one rushing touchdown in the last four uh jagger jagger gardner is the backup similar kind of carry split to what we see with warren and doke so we'll see you see plenty of both of them i like their two main receivers a lot um jaden blue kind of come out of nowhere. He's got 68 catches this year. He's definitely their main target. And then Brandon Mack is a, he's got one of the guys that caught, I believe he caught the touchdown last year at the end of regulation. So he's a big body outside guy, you know, will be a matchup problem for any, any corner just because of how big and physical he can play. And then their third guy, I thought, was Isaiah Wright, who he caught the touchdown in overtime and has been real dangerous in special teams. But from what I gather, he's kind of fallen out of favor, dropped some passes, muffed some punts. So I don't know how much of him we'll see. Jose sounds like a young guy. Jose Barbone has kind of taken over that third receiver spot. And then Kenny Yaboa is a pretty solid tight end. So, I mean, they've got some nice pieces when it comes to running backs and receivers just for whatever, you know, same same issues with UC, just for whatever reason it hasn't kind of come together for them uh, on the road like it does at home. But, you know, they, they beat Tulane last week, 29-21. I don't really think it was that close. I mean, they kind of, had their way most of the game, but they've got, you know, their home loss to UCF. They just got destroyed. 63-21. So the the better team, you know, I don't know if the Buffalo game is an an outlier. That was very early. So I just think it's going to be a close game. It it seems to be that way with them. And with us being uncertain, you know, with Dez's 
availability health. We just don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he went through practice today as normal, but everybody knows how college coaches are. They're not going to say anything they don't have to. This isn't the NFL. They don't have to, to tell anybody anything. Right. So it's, it's kind of a question mark and just an overall performance question when you consider what we're facing defensively, which is unquestionably the best defensive lineman UC has played outside of Chase Young, and that's Quincy Roche, who wrecked house against Tulane. I mean, he was a just unstoppable. Three sacks. I want to say another three or four tackles for loss. I mean, I don't know if Tulane's left tackle is any good or not, but that day he stunk. And it was because of Quincy Roche. They didn't do a whole lot of chipping. I don't know if UC is going to try to do whatever they can to take him out of the game. Good but, luck. Or, or at least, yeah, at least minimize his impact. <laughs> um, but, you know, their stop rate is quite good. Their three and out rate's good. They're just a good, solid defense. Um, you know, held South Florida to seven. Held ECU to 17. You know, the more explosive offenses have had their way with them. SMU, Memphis scored 28, you know, in a loss. UCF scored 100. UCF scored 100. But, I mean, I don't think anyone is going to confuse UC's offense with explosive right now. So, you know, they're going to have they're going to have their hands full if they're going to try or need to make it, you know, a Mike Warren, Jared Dokes type of game. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is, I mean, speaking of special teams, this is going to be a game Cincinnati has to win special teams decisively because field position is going to be critical in this game. I don't think there's any question. Yeah, I think their their kicker's pretty good. Their punters, I'm, I'm not I don't think he's real great, but, it, you know, his average is under 40 yards. But it seems like lately, any time I say that a certain position group isn't any good, they <laughs> play out of their ass. Sorry, Dan. Like, ECU's offensive line stinks. Well played. No sacks. USF's offensive line just gave up nine freaking sacks to Temple the week before. Did we get a sack last week? If we did, one? Like, I know we had several TFLs on run plays. But, like, every time I say, especially appears offensive lines aren't any good, we don't do anything. So I, I don't want to say their punter's no good because he, he's going to turn around and average, like, 48 yards a kick and put three inside the 10. Yeah, you've been the kiss of death on on this is a weakness and all of a sudden uh, by the end of the game it is a strength against the Bearcats. I mean, like, <laughs> so much for statistics. And the anal, you know, and and all that stuff. I mean, jeez. <laughs> um. So let me ask you this. And I don't know that it's. <coughs> excuse me. I don't know that it's as drastic. Um, because last year they were absolutely destroyed by Navy the year before. Marcus Freeman came out with the 4-4 defense, completely caught Navy off guard. This year, they were destroyed by Central Florida the year before. 
Marcus Freeman comes out with the 3-3-5. Completely caught UCF off guard. While I don't think they've been practicing for Temple since camp, do you think Fickle and Freeman get in the lab and come up with at least something maybe we haven't seen a lot of or I have a hard time thinking with with what we've seen from the 335 which has been you know a little bend but don't break um I think we'll see the 335 obviously they they've they they've really liked playing with five defensive backs but do you think they get back in the lab and and come up with something creative I I hope so because I think it's it's time to get back to a main four-man front. Um, just because, like, I don't, I just don't like that it's taking one of your best players off the field um, and putting guys that I think are better suited interior on the outside. I just. I think they've been exposed too much by pretty pedestrian offenses in that look now to keep going to it. I mean, I think it's served its purpose and I think it has a purpose, but I don't think it should be your base look anymore. It's not surprising anyone. It worked against this one. That's it worked against UCF. Because they didn't expect it. Now it's what people are expecting. And it worked against UCF because, breaking news, I said this earlier, Josh Heupel isn't a good coach. He should have kept running the damn ball. They threw it too much. Yeah. I think it, it leaves you... Like, it leaves you, in my opinion, I'm not even... I mean, God forbid, I'm nowhere near what these guys are doing. And, but just to the naked eye, I don't like the, what it, the look it gives against the run. Because you have three down linemen, you have Brian Wright and Perry Young, and you're more times than not going up against five offensive linemen in the tight end. I, right. don't, I, don't like, I don't like that matchup. I like having Pitts and Sanders and Ponder and... Jabari or whoever, I like the four-man front. I think the back end is is good enough, is is capable enough to to play either for a four-two. If you if you want that extra DB, I just think you're you're outnumbered too often in the run game. In with that look, because more arguing. times than not, in more times than not. It's almost not a three three five. Like it's a, it's like a three two six almost. Yeah, because your sniper is often dropping. Um, yeah, I agree. I look, as I have said, when a coaching staff goes twenty and three over their last twenty three games, you get the benefit of the doubt from me. However, there are still observations to be made. That's what we're here for. They get the benefit of the doubt on whatever decision they end up making. If that decision is the three three five, then then they believe the three three five is their best way to win. 
But I do like that. Like I, I prefer that four man front. I think, and it's funny to say this because at the beginning of the year, we had no idea what this group was going to be defensively. That defensive line is your best unit. And keep, keep talking. I'm, I'm looking something up. Getting those four guys on the field is ideal. The problem that they were having with that is they also feel like linebackers are are right up there as their best unit, and they want those three linebackers on the field. So you get into a dilemma. Do you take a linebacker off to get an extra defensive back? Do you take a defensive lineman off to get an extra defensive back on the field? Um, I think we saw against USF, they mixed it up quite a bit. I think there was three three five. I think there was a lot of nickel, uh, base nickel that was in there as well. Um, so they're mixing it up a little bit more now. I'm interested to see when we get to to Saturday what they cook up. Because I have to think they cook up something. Like those two guys, that's what they do, right? They get yeah. in the lab and they cook something up. What are they going to cook up for this game? That's what I'm interested to see. Um, I mean, I'm I'm looking at it since. I mean, they did. They had. It's been. It's just been super hit and miss. Like you had five sacks against Tulsa and UConn, but none, or one and none against East Carolina. In, in South Florida. Right. And you had, I'm looking at just since the UCF game when that kind of became their predominant, and you had one against Houston. So in three of the five games, since that became your bait, your pretty much base defense, you have one or fewer sacks. When you have multiple games with five, you have multiple games with, you know, two, three, four. I mean, I just, I think it, it served its purpose and it might still have a purpose, but I don't think it should be the base look. Agreed. All right, Dave. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get to it. It is. The Trace Pountas prediction of the week. Hold on a second. There we go. What is Trace Pountas coffee? It's fresh roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order. They are shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date clearly printed on it so that you know your coffee is fresh. <coughs> freshly roasted coffee tastes the best. There's a huge difference between drinking coffee that's been freshly roasted versus even just a few weeks old. All of the coffee you find in the grocery and even gourmet food stores has been sitting there for weeks. Trace Pountas offers a unique opportunity to drink coffee immediately after it has been roasted and shipped directly to your home. How do you get it? You go to www.tracepountas.com, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S.com, slash coffee. From there, you decide. 12-ounce bags, whole bean and ground coffee, or you can get K-Cups. You choose between light, medium, dark, and French roasts. 
And when you get to checkout, you enter Bearcats. So you'll decide on your subscription. Every one, two, or four weeks, that's your choice. You enter Bearcats at checkout. You get 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription. And you also get free shipping. That is tracepountos.com slash coffee. Make sure you enter Bearcats at checkout. And you will get 20% off every bag. Dave, your prediction, Bearcats versus Temple, American Athletic Conference East title on the line. Go. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be close. I think in the end, UC figures out a way to get it done. I predicted them to win this game in August, so I need to continue to predict them. So my prediction is correct because that's really all that matters is that I look smart at the end of the year. Where did you have the Bearcats record-wise coming into this game? A 9-1. What are the Bearcats? 9-1. You predicted the only loss to this point would be? Ohio State. So you've been pretty good at this. I've redeemed myself from some previous years. (laughs) Uh, Prognostications. Okay. Um, but me, I think they fig- figure out a way to get it done, win the, win the division, and head to Memphis next week playing for, you know, home field. Because I do not think USF is going to beat Memphis this weekend. I think they'll get in um, trouble. Maybe. I think, I think they're, they're going to revert back to being stinky and Memphis is going to pound them. Um, but I have... I'm going to say UC 24, Temple 20. I'm in the same ballpark. I'm thinking Cincinnati 21-17. I think that's where I'm at. I think the Bearcats hold on and stop Temple on fourth down around midfield to to put the game away. I mean, part of it is just they figured out ways to win when they've played bad. And they haven't this, really played bad at Nippert Stadium. No, I don't think they're. I think the Tulsa, the Tulsa maybe. game they not bad though. I mean, they the defense still played pretty pretty darn good in that game, in my opinion. Um, but they've just figured out ways to get it done, and I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with them another week that they're gonna figure out a way to get this one done too. Um. Does Desmond Ritter take every snap at quarterback? Additional bonus question. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say no. Does Desmond Ritter take the first snap at quarterback? I'm going to say yes. Okay. All right. So, Dave and I both have the Bearcats winning. I, I I would agree that Ritter takes the first snap. Um, what I do worry about here is that Temple's going to get pressure. And if he's got a barky throwing shoulder, Temple is not exactly the defensive front that you want to be playing against. So I do think at some point we will see Ben Bryant. Uh, even if, you know, Dez ends up making it back 
onto the field. Like if we see Ben for a series and then, and then Des comes back, but I'll agree with you on both fronts there. Uh, let's go to the tailgate. 7 PM nip at night kickoff. Looks like a chilly day. Looks like the rain is supposed to stop in the morning. So it'll be a little brisk at the tailgate, but that is Dave Simone drinking weather, correct? Well, yes. Not freezing, but a little brisk. Yeah. I mean, it will, um, it will be, you know, perfect beer drinking weather. And if we can make it through the entire season without getting rained on or it being like ridiculously cold, I will be uh, very happy. We is in fact the chilly tailgate too. So we will have multiple kinds of chili and all of the accompaniments, which includes a ubiquitous amount of jello shots. (laughs) Always, always goes great with chili and, you know, beer from our favorite local breweries. And 50 West. So it, it should be another delightful tailgate at the Campus Green Garage. The the forecast has changed slightly from when I looked at it earlier today. Now it is saying morning rain followed by a mix of rain and snow showers in the afternoon. High of 41, but temperatures falling. Uh, low of 29. Saturday night, cloudy skies early will become partly cloudy later at night. So the, 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 the precipitation, at least as of today, as of Tuesday night at 8.52, as of today, the, uh, the, the, the moisture will be moved out by Saturday night. But it's going to be a chilly one. Yeah. So... so. All right, real quick, we got a couple minutes left. Basketball heads to the Virgin Islands. They take on Illinois State in the first game. Um, obviously, the big question being Jaron Cumberland. After serving a one game, did not play coach's decision. Most people call that a suspension. Um, John Brandon has not referred to it as that. So coach's decision um here's the thing that i will say is is good and i don't think this is necessarily an update but it is from my eyes from my perspective i've not heard of anything bad i've not heard of any any rumblings of things have gotten worse which i would think because there were rumblings leading up to the Alabama A&M game, that something was off. I have not heard of anything being off in the meantime. So that would lead me to believe that hopefully things are on the right track. And if things are on the right track, then we'll see Jaron with the team on the floor in the Virgin Islands. I don't know that for sure. I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying I've not heard anything negative since we left Fifth Third Arena Thursday night. That, I think, I take that as a positive sign. Um, do you have any feel for this? I mean, it's kind of a no-win situation type of tournament. There's a lot of decent, there's a lot of decent schools there. Who are we even playing? 
other than Illinois State. The uh, winner, Western Kentucky is there. Nevada is there. Best, um, best players, best players, Rick Stansberry can buy, baby. Um, I mean, it's not the problem. Is there's not a lot of great competition at this tournament, but there are teams that can beat you if you, if you don't play, play well. Yeah, so you got to go over there and take care of business. Um, Illinois State is Friday. Um, Bowling Green or Western Kentucky, either Saturday or Sunday, depending on depending on win loss. However, the hell that goes. Um, and then the other side of the bracket. is Nevada versus Fordham and Valpo versus Grand Canyon. Ooh, we need a we need a Valpo final so Jay Soroya can exact revenge for whatever <laughs> they did or didn't do to him and get his former team. Yeah. I mean like, we're 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 significantly the best team in this tournament, I would say, right? Like none of those teams no, they're all hovering. They're all hovering uh, around, you know, respectable. Like, I mean, the, but none, none of them are like tournament right. teams, correct? Unless they win their conference tournament, right? Grand Canyon is, is a kind of an upstart. Um, they could be a little bit uh, of a problem. But Thunder really, Dan Marley. Yeah, Western Kentucky really is the only major major threat, and they play Bowling Green. Uh, nine o'clock on Friday, and then Cincinnati will face winner slash loser of that game. So, I mean, there's really just not much to talk about on this tournament. You got to go down there and win the damn thing, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you like, this is kind of what we talked about before with these marquee non-conference games, like. You can't you, you can't drop one of these. Yeah, and most importantly, what really needs to happen is they've got to beat Illinois State. Because if they lose to Illinois State, then they play Saturday at six. If they beat Illinois State, they play Sunday at eight thirty. Oh, okay. That's a That's much better option. Yeah, it's a much better option. Um. I, I don't want to have to miss a game because I'm going to be like it's the I'm going to be at the football game. I'm I'm not watching flowhoops.com from my phone <laughs> on the field. That's the I'm other not thing. Watching, not watching flowhoops.com ever. Well, that's the other thing. If you want to watch the games, flowhoops.com, get your credit card ready. It's 30 bucks to watch this tournament. <laughs> Put it on the Bearcat Journal account. <laughs> you want me to give you my sign-in? <laughs> so, that's uh, that's the deal on basketball. Houston's losing by seven to Rice right now. Yeah, that Houston team, man. I watched them the other night. That is, uh, it's well, going to take some time for them. they lost to BYU. Yeah, it's going to take some time for them. And they don't have the shooting or the defense to go on those crippling 
25 to three runs that they were known for the past couple years. Oh, so you mean like they don't have two guys that can make both make six threes in a game? Yeah, but it's also what they did defensively to turn turn teams over, get stops, and then fuel those runs. Like you got to be able to defend to fuel those runs. And, no, for sure. And I don't think they have either of those things right now. Now, I think Kelvin Sampson will get them defending. I think he'll get them on track there. But, I mean, the, the, the American's going to be very interesting. All the American is going to be very interesting. Armani Brooks must have hated college. Yeah, him not coming back is still... Maybe one of he the biggest head scratchers. Hated it because <laughs> he would have been a star this year. Would have been an absolute star. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Dave has the Bearcats knocking off the Temple Owls twenty four twenty one. Did you say twenty four twenty twenty four twenty? I have the Bearcats 21-17. Both we we both think low scoring. Um it, it's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be a very interesting game for me. Uh it, it it's probably not going to be all that aesthetically pleasing to watch. But you got to get the win. Because you know what you don't want to do, Dave? I'll leave everybody on this. You don't want to leave your AAC title hopes up to having to go to Memphis. Yeah. And beat Memphis. Correct. That is not what you want to do. So that's going to wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We will see you next time. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.